Begin Podfix Network transmission in three, two, one. This is Bewilderbeasts, an infotainment show dedicated to inspiring curiosity for all ages by investigating the ways animals intersect at humanity. I am not a historian, an ethologist, a researcher, a scientist, a zoologist, a trained audio engineer, or an expert in, well, anything. Y'all, I'm lucky if I can remember to put my clean laundry in the dryer before it gets funky. And while I make every effort to present things as accurately as I can with a fun flair, I'm going to mess up. And that's okay. I hope I've given you a nice place to jump off from on your own adventures into curiosity, or at the very least, I've given you the key to win your next round of trivia. Welcome to Bewilder Beasts. I'm your host, Melissa McHugh McGrath, still recording from the tiniest podcast studio closet outside of Boston, Massachusetts. Today on Bewilder Beasts, we are going to talk about the cow that escaped a slaughterhouse and went on the lamb, a dolphin that lived in Dingle Bay, and the town that went dark to save a nest of baby birds. Okay, let's go. Welcome back to Bewilderbeasts. It's springing outside, so if you live in New England, it is totally mud season. I don't know if you've noticed your dogs, or if you have them, but they might be sniffing more on walks. And one thing that dogs do that we can't do is smell 40 feet underground. That giant nose that they have allows for them to not only smell little critters like ants and mice and voles waking up and moving around underground, but they can also smell the smells of spring coming on the jet stream, the plant chemicals switching from dormant to on like a light switch, and they can smell just so many things that we can't even figure out yet. So if you're taking your dog for a walk and they want to just take a few minutes to sniff a blade of grass, and you're just thinking, oh, come on, man, let's go, just take a minute. Literally, just stop and smell the roses like your dog is. Let them stop and smell, or in this case, probably smelling roses is more likely weasel pee. But that same way that we're listening to podcasts for information and entertainment, dogs are using their noses to figure out the world around them. I did a presentation last year for the Boston Museum of Science on how dogs use their noses and jobs dogs are hired to do to help us humans including detecting COVID-19, which is relevant. We covered this one in one of our earliest episodes of Bewilderbeast. If you're interested, you can go back and listen. They also are able to find whale poop to help scientists track health issues in migrating whale pods and even find ancient ruins, which we can discuss in another episode. So if you're interested in that like 40-minute talk, it's on YouTube on my YouTube channel, Melissa McHugh McGrath, CPDTKA. I know it's a lot of letters. I know, I know, I know. But if you search for just my name... You should see it, and it'll come up under an educational presentations playlist, and I'll also link to it in the show notes and put it up on socials, but the thing to take away here are that if you have dogs, they are amazing, and if you can just let your pup sniff, it'll just be like them reading a really, really, really good book or getting engaged in a really good story. So just plug in your podcast and listen while your pup sniffs. It's more important for them to sniff and check things out as long as they're not eating things that they find. 
than it is for them to walk a longer distance. This act is called mental stimulation and it is super important for dogs. And as a dog trainer, the best thing I can advise that you do to help your pet feel secure in their world is to let them see the world through their eyes. And their eyes happen to be their nose. So if you let your pup do a sniffy walk, let me know how it goes. Send in photos via social platforms or to bewilderbeastpod at gmail.com. I would love to see your dogs. Spam me with your puppies. All right, so now let's go on with the show. Back in early February 2021, an Uber driver stopped at a red light in Johnstown, Rhode Island, 10 miles outside of Providence. As Rhode Island is the smallest state in the Union, 10 miles is basically the other side of the state. It was two in the morning, a quiet night at a red light. Nothing to see here except for the 1,500-pound cow just waiting at the light, too. The cow had the right idea. Just try to blend in. But it's hard when there's an APB out for you and you're basically the size of Rhode Island. So when it turns green, the cow goes, reported the Uber driver. I thought I was seeing things at first. I must be tired, but no, that's a cow for real. So why was there a cow standing at this intersection in Rhode Island? Well, he had escaped earlier in the day when he was being dropped off at a slaughterhouse. That's where animals are killed to make our food. This steer was having none of it, and it just totally peaced out and ran through Rhode Island, including through the capital of Providence for a month. Apparently, the Department of Environment Management and the Animal Control were both notified. Uh, hey, we had a situation here. Nope, not a dog. Nope, not a raccoon in the trash. Oh, I wish I were telling you about a litter of kittens. Would you believe that a heifer hightailed it on the highway and is now hiding out? It turns out both agencies were unprepared and not equipped to capture a cow. After a month on the lam, multiple sightings of the Johnstown steer came in. Thank you, Instagram. And he was caught after almost a month of running feral through Rhode Island. The first report I saw, though, after he was caught was that he was going to go back to the slaughterhouse, and it just felt so wrong. But apparently I wasn't alone. As much as I generally disagree with online petitions, as they only usually show one side of an issue, this is one that I can get behind fully. There is a petition to, quote, retire the Johnston cow to sanctuary, and it had over 12,000 signatures on Friday afternoon, just a few days ago. This guy wants to live so badly, and we think that it's earned him the right to live out the rest of his days in peace at a sanctuary, said organizer Victoria Ferruccio Flores. He's currently residing at his original farm in Connecticut while these petitions continue to come in. So good luck, Jonesy. That's what I'm calling him. I think if anyone has earned the right to retire to a real farm instead of, quote, the farm, it's him. There are three islands off the west coast of Ireland that make you feel like if there is an end of the world... You found it. Now, this is where I went on my honeymoon over a decade ago. 800-foot cliffs that drop straight down into the churning Atlantic, wind gusts of up to 130 miles an hour. That is fast enough for falling rock to be blown back up the cliff. But that's the occasional gust. The average speed? 
it's between 65 and 80 miles an hour consistently up that high. That's about the range of speed that I prefer to do on the highway, no matter what the speed limit indicates. This part of the world has ruins that are older than America's, well, America. Sitting on the cliff far enough back not to get blown into the ocean, which admittedly would look really bad on your honeymoon to be offed off a cliff. I mean, I've listened to a lot of true crime podcasts. I know how that would look. It would look real bad. But there is nothing between you and America aside from a few thousand miles of turbulent ocean. It was awesome, especially since there are no cars on this island. So if you have to walk or bike or convince a pony to take you around, I mean, I don't know if you've ever had the pleasure of trying to, quote, convince a pony to do anything. You'd be better off on foot, generally speaking. But there are only two ways to get to these islands by boat. You can take a large ship from Galway or a little boat from the quaint town of Doolin. My husband and I wanted the quaint experience, so we chose to depart from Doolin Harbor. The only way to the boat was to get into a smaller boat at that shore, and that would take us to the big boat and just pray you didn't fall into the Atlantic, jumping onto the other boat. But we had a guardian a little dolphin who was just hanging out in the harbor by him or herself, quite close to shore. He or she was alone and seemed to just enjoy being near the people. Probably had been reinforced for being this close with food or attention, and I didn't think that much of this little guy after getting on the boat because, as we discovered on this journey, apparently I suffer greatly from seasickness. I mean... The way the waves tossed and turned, it felt like we were in a washing machine, and I'm just surprised not everyone was violently ill. Part of the reason for the churning of these waves was, ironically, the giant ships coming from Galway, and they were much larger. Those tourists were riding to the islands on a big, comfy couch. We were going across their waves, like we were riding on a bucking bronco. No joke. When we went to depart the ship, I paused for a minute, trying not to yak all over the seats of the boat, and my husband started to giggle. I must have glared at him at just that way to encourage him to defend himself, because he pointed at something at the wall that I was holding onto for balance. I was standing next to a map of the interior of the boat. The name of this boat? The MV Tranquility. Pull? I need an assist. The first words I said on this glorious, secluded island, the island I wanted so desperately to experience? Tranquility, my (laughs) It wasn't until later that we developed the film. Not everything was digital at the time. And that's when I noticed our dolphin friend. And by that time, there had been enough space to appreciate the dolphin that I had completely forgotten was our guardian in my, well, let's just say condition. But this wasn't the only solo dolphin that we had seen in Ireland. We went to Dingle Bay in the southwest of Ireland, the same region as the walrus from last week. And let's just get this out of the way. Yes. The area is Dingle. Dingle Town in Dingle Bay. It's an Irish thing, but Dingle, a hopping touristy area, lots of pubs, beehive huts, these cool stone huts that are the size of small garages and look like, well upside-down beehives that were built out of stone, and they were what monks lived in in the 12th century, 
long before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And what struck me with these beehive huts was that they were on people's property. You would see a modern home and then a beehive hut. This archaic structure, this piece of history, and it's housing a lawnmower and bikes and dog food bags. It was so surreal. And also in this area was Skellig Michael, the island made famous in Star Wars where Rey found Luke. Sorry, spoiler alert. But fun fact, the porgs on this island that Luke Skywalker was hiding out on were actually CGI jujitsu. They were covering the puffins that live on this very, very, very real island spitting distance from the coast of Dingle Bay. We would have gone, but it would have taken another boat. And we've talked about this. I was done with boats. But the other thing Dingle Bay had that was unusual, that was the draw, that was unlike anywhere else in the world, was Fungi the Dingle Dolphin. Fungi holds the record of being the oldest known single dolphin in the world. So like my friend in the choppy waters of the music town of Doolin, Fungi was a solitary fellow. He marched to his own drum, was a crow left of the murder, a dolphin in his own estuary, and he would perform. When fishermen would go out in the bay, Fungi would jump and flip and do tricks and flirt with the people of the bay. He evidently got his name from one of the fishermen, a man unfortunately nicknamed Fungus, as he couldn't grow a beard. So I assume he got the nickname because what facial hair he could grow was Fungus-like. Anyway, he interacted with the dolphin in the bay long before anyone else thought it was cool or even interesting. This dolphin became known as Fungus's Dolphin, later Fungi. Fungi the Dolphin of Dingle Bay. My goodness, I love all the names here. So the town built a statue to Fungi. It's right in the bay, and the photos will be up on socials, but why am I talking about this little dolphin? Well, when we saw him in 2011, it was the perfect September morning. The woman at the B&B suggested that we went for a walk to see Folly Tower. It was basically an old-timey stimulus package. Kings and dukes and old dudes and castles would find ways to pay laborers to build a tower, even though the tower served zero purpose. One such tower was here in Dingle Bay, and we got to go check it out. And while I hopped on the rocks and walked on the grass toward the tower to nowhere, we looked to our right, and there was a dolphin. He crested a few times, but then he leapt up and did a flip, even though I suspect he thought no one could see him in the wee early hours as the sun was just rising. And then he swam further and further towards the touristy areas, towards the docks, towards the people and away from us. We saw fungi, and he was so cool. Although it is normal for social animals like dolphins to live in close contact with each other, it's still rare for them to seek out human contact. And fungi is the first recorded occurrence of a dolphin interacting positively with humans in the wild in Ireland. They are very social creatures as a general rule, but to be fair, some people just do better on their own. Some seals choose to swim 250 miles to live at a farmhouse. Some crows befriend humans. I would argue that fungi, while alone, didn't strike me as the lonely soul that could easily plague such a creature. He seemed to just genuinely find joy in people. And while he found joy in people, people found joy in him too. Fungi became an instant tourist attraction for 37 years. Fungi was the most famous attraction in Dingle Bay. Tourist companies popped up, boat companies, knickknack shops all sprouted up in this area, all in Fungi's honor. Not only was he unusually human-friendly, but he was the top wild cetacean tourist attraction in the world. 
Hundreds of thousands of people had descended into this little community over the years just to see him and stay for the amazing other things, too, that this part of Ireland in the Gaeltrecht, that's the western part of Ireland that still speaks Gaelic, had to offer. History, art, music, and, of course, pubs. And when tourists come, they spend money. 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 So much money. The boom to the economy that this wild dolphin had in the Dingle area had been estimated at over $10 million for just the first 24 years that he was in the bay. His fame only grew over time, so that number surely was way higher the longer Fungi lived in the harbor. On irishdolphins.com, a real website that hasn't been updated since 2012 from what I could determine, so large grain of salt here, but there was a useful FAQ about fungi. And one of the more common questions was why does fungi or any other dolphin stay in the bay? Here's what they said. 1. Dolphins eat fish, of course. The entire mass of tidal water in Dingle Harbor empties into the sea and refills twice a day through a very narrow channel. This water carries fish but no nets can be set here, and even seabirds find it hard to hunt in the churned-up water. So the dolphin, equipped with a state-of-the-art sonar and turn of speed which leaves the Atlantic salmon standing, has all the fish moving in and out of the harbor to himself. If it wasn't for the rich pickings available here, he would not have been able to live comfortably within such a small area and to spend most of his days playing around. Two, Fungi loves boats, and he has a constant supply of them coming in and out of the harbor here. Three, or as our late lighthouse keeper Patty Ferreter put it, how would I know? But then COVID hit and the tourists stopped. The fishermen boat stopped. The town went dark and quiet as people holed up in their homes. The nearly 40-year-old dolphin who showed up in Dingle Harbor in 1983, I was two years old, and continued to seek out human contact over the next 37 years, disappeared in October 2020, seven months into the pandemic and pandemic lifestyle. As dolphins average between 8 and 17 years in the wild, Fungi on his own in Dingletown made it to 40. But when he disappeared, the assumption, given his age and maybe sorrow for missing humans, was that he swam out to sea to die. It's so sad to think that maybe this 40-year-old bottlenose dolphin who spent his entire life in Dingle Bay as a lone dolphin finally died of loneliness after the people stopped coming. And that's where I thought the story would end. But while it's very, very, very unlikely that Fungi is still alive, there's a reputable glimmer of hope. Remember Galway? The other town that the boats left from causing my seasickness so many miles away? Yes, there are reported sightings of a dolphin playing with surfers and leaping and doing all these tricks by boats, not seeming to interact with the other dolphins, but seeking out humans, which seems very fungi-like. Dr. Simon Barrow has been studying dolphins in the Shannon Estuary for almost 30 years, and he said his team had discovered at least two dolphins in history who were thought to be dead in new locations in Tralee and Brandon. However, it's thought that maybe this dolphin in Galway is a short-beaked common dolphin, not, pushing up my imaginary glasses with a well-actually expression, a bottlenose dolphin, which is a larger dolphin, Fungi was a bottlenose dolphin. Also, Fungi had a well-known mark, a notch in his left side of his tail fluke and a small rounded nick at the base of his dorsal fin, which is really hard to see in photos and video as jumping dolphins are really freaking fast. 
So regardless, if this is another solitary dolphin in a nearby touristy area playing with people, which I guess now is Ireland's thing, or if it really is Fungi the Dingle Dolphin who just decided to move to other waters during the pandemic. Either way, it is extremely unlikely that Fungi will ever return to Dingle Bay, the place he called home for 37 years. And Dingle is certainly mourning the loss of their beloved friend in the bay. So what do you think? Do you think fungi far exceeding the lifespan of wild dolphins moved to Galway to keep playing with tourists? Or do you think he passed on in the place he called home? And that maybe another dolphin has taken up the torch in nearby Galway? We may never know. What would you do if your city went without streetlights for six weeks? What if it was for a mama bird? And that is exactly what the entire town of Padakuti in India did. A robin built a nest in the switch box that happened to turn on the traffic lights. And one man, Karapu Reja, is the guy in charge of turning on the traffic lights at night. How cool is that? But he went in one day and noticed that a mama bird had set up house in the switchboard and had a nest of eggs. Instead of turning on the lights, which would have made the mom fly away and the babies would have died... He instead took to a popular app called WhatsApp, and apparently all 120 homes in this village are on this WhatsApp thread. They eventually agreed to just let Mama stay until her babies flew away, and then they could do their best without streetlights temporarily. The entire village banded together to help the Indian robin survive. So while the entire town went dark, this village, led by the efforts of Karapu Raja, brought smiles and lit up the conservation world and hopefully made you smile too. So thank you for joining me today on Bewilder Beasts. If you like this podcast, you know what to do. Share, tell your friends. It's truly the best way to support the show. If there are topics that you would be interested in hearing about on the podcast, know of historical animals who changed the world, animals who help humans, wacky animals in the news, or other animals who shut down a town, there are multiple ways to send them in or let me know what you think of the show. First, visit the website, bewilderbeastpod.com. There you can find episodes to start with, share episodes, learn about the show, how to support my show, and see bonus art for some podcast episodes. Email bewilderbeastpod at gmail.com. Tweet at Bewildered Pod, or you can DM and voice text at Bewilderbeast Pod on Facebook. There you can leave a one minute voice message on your favorite animal fact or resource for the show, or lurk at Bewilderbeasts on Instagram. I am Melissa McHugh McGrath, co training director of the New England Dog Training Club, author of Considerations for the City Dog, and creator of Mudstuff Media and this podcast. Now go get curious. I got today's information from Jonesy, that's what I'm calling him the 1,500-pound cow from Kiro7.com on Fungi the Dingle Dolphin from my own personal experiences having a honeymoon in southwestern Ireland and wikipedia.org on Fungi, irishcentral.com, insideedition.com, and hakaimagazine.com. 
on our little bird friends in India from thegoodnewsnetwork.org for our little bird friends in India. Links, as always, are in the description of today's episode. Intro music is Tiptoe Out the Back by Dan Leibowitz and interstitial music is by MK2. Don't forget to like and subscribe, review and share with your curious friends. You know, all the things every other podcast tells you to do. Thanks for listening and I will see you next week. You've been listening to a podcast of the Podfix Network. Discover more audible gems like this at podfixnetwork.com. Make sure to catch up-to-the-minute network shenanigans by following at Podfix on Twitter, official underscore Podfix on Instagram, at Podfix Network on Facebook. And make sure to subscribe to Podfix Presents wherever you choose to find podcasts. The Podfix Network, artist owned and loved.